Hi friends, you're listening to Autism and Us with me, Maisie. When my son was diagnosed with autism at the age of four, I didn't know anything about autism. Oh wait, I'd seen Rain Man in the 80s. At the beginning, I felt devastated, isolated and afraid. Diagnosis day, the darkest of my life. It wasn't the masses of written information I was given that helped me. It was sharing stories with other Spectrum parents I met along the way, giving me tips and advice, and most importantly, made me feel like I'm not alone. I am no expert and don't claim to be. I'm a parent at the start of my journey. Each episode, I will be talking to a parent or a close family member of someone with autism, and they will share their story from the early years to diagnosis to present day. Welcome to Autism and Us. Today, I'm talking to Sarah Hillary. Sarah is a crime writer, and I'm talking to her about her son and his diagnosis of autism. Hello, Sarah. Hello. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. It's a delight to be here. Oh, thank you so much. So I would like to find out a bit about you before you had your son. So I guess you'd start from the very beginning where you were born. Uh, I know we just briefly talked uh, and you said you were originally from the north. That's right, from Cheshire. Um, so my family is, my well, my mother is still living in Cheshire. I grew up there and I moved away to go to university which I did in Surrey, and um, then lived in London for about 13 years um, when I was first working, and then lived in the Cotswolds um, Cotswolds. uh, when my son was first born. So he spent the first eight years of his life uh, in a very pretty village. Then we moved to Bristol briefly, and uh, now in Bath. So stayed in the southwest. Yeah, and we're in Bath today, which is so beautiful. It is. It's very pretty. So how, how, how old were you when you fell pregnant? Um, so, uh, oh, I ought to know that off the top of my head. I think it was 30, I think I was 34. And was the pregnancy all good? And- Absolutely good. Yeah, all fine. Um, I um, had a sort of, I instinctively knew I was pregnant through, you know, I, I just had one of those moments. I don't, I'm not usually that kind of person where I have a sort of intuitive feeling about something, but I definitely did. And um, it was planned anyway. So, you know, it wasn't that that unexpected um and it was all fine yeah it was good and and so when your son was born from like naught to two years you said he was a good baby and oh very good yeah no he's lovely yeah he was um often un, um unexpected so all, the first thing he did when he was born actually was when they put him on my on my stomach um he lifted his head up and, and looked me in the eye and i had a very strong sense of here is a you know, not my baby in inverted commas, but a, a new human being, an individual, yeah. you know, in, in the world. It was quite, um, it was really unexpected. It's kind of, he just lifted his head and looked at me. And I said, oh, to the midwife, he just lifted his head and looked at me. And she had her back turned, she was tidying up. She said, no, 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 the baby's neck's not strong enough yet to do that. At which point my son lifted his head and, and looked at her. And she went, oh, I know, okay. Oh, wow. Yes, he is doing that. <laughs> um, so, And that's actually, I like to tell that story because I think it, I feel it's a, a true indication, a first indication of his personality, really, that he was very, um, he, he had his own ideas about things. And, strong. Yeah, very strong. Yeah. And it was a really interesting meeting. That first meeting, it wasn't, you know, it was, uh, it was lovely. And were you working? Um, did you go back to work quite soon? What were you doing? I was working from home. Um, so I was fortunate enough to be able to do that because it wasn't that usual. This was in 2001. Um, okay. And it wasn't that usual um, for that 
you know, for to be able to do it to the extent to which I did, given that I'd also moved away from London. So, uh, so were you to, writing? Um, no, I wasn't. I was um, working for. It was, it was some writing involved in the job, but no, it was a, it was a business role. It was a sort of a, a, a publishing management role. But they were very understanding and let me work from home. And um, I didn't really. I'd always written since I was small, but I really started writing again seriously when I was probably when. My son was about two and a half, three, and then never stopped really. Since what, what, like, because I always wonder about like writers and mm. how, because I, yeah, I'd love to write things I mm. think of, and I sometimes think of scenes in my head, and like I'm watching a film and think, oh god, I'd love to write that. But it's actually the skill I think of actually sitting down mm. and writing and having that patience and that. Um, and is it something you did as a hobby? And um, well, I suppose I, I think I always thought of it as more as a more more than a hobby when I was young. I was very serious about it. I used to I had the Writers and Artists Yearbook from about the age of nine. I think was when I first had my first copy of the Writers and Artists Yearbook, and used to pitch ideas. In fact, when I was about twelve or thirteen, I was um, the the thing I was most obsessed with doing was pitching film ideas to Hollywood. So um, I used to write to the head of Warner Brothers and there were all the details were in the writing, <laughs> pitching them ideas for films I hadn't actually written, but I would write if they would commission me to do it, obviously. Um, so I was, I suppose, luckily plagued with ideas. I had a lot of, I mean, I was a great reader when I was a, a lucky my mother encouraged all still of us to read. Oh yes, yeah. I love reading. I don't know any serious writer who doesn't. And yes, I think I I did. It. So I've always written, but I had a period of time when I stopped. I suppose I was working, and oddly enough, I think I think I suppose I got back into into the storytelling when my son was born because you you tell stories to, even if it's just reading picture books. Mm. Um, I suppose there was an element of that, and and just holding him captive with you know with words and he was a great he was he always loved books yeah um since he was tiny picture books in fact oddly enough he was obsessed as a toddler with sort of encyclopedias and, and he would drag these things they weighed more than he did across the floor open them at random and sit and pour over them as if he could as if he was reading them um and often they were just black and white pages and they sometimes didn't even have any pictures on them you know and i so the the house was filled with a whole lot of new books, including ones I'd enjoyed when I was little and ones that I'd read when I was little that were passed down through the family. And suddenly I was rediscovering, you know, old favourites that I'd read when I was little. And also I think becoming a mum, I mean, I don't know how, you know, confident you were before, but I think there is like an inner confidence that comes when you become a mum as well, when you're like, yes, yeah, I, I can do this. I think so. I was lucky. I had um, uh, an easy pregnancy and I had a very easy childbirth really and then oh, I Sarah. had a I know oh, Sarah. and then but the worst thing is then then this is it you think I'm bad or you hate me now but <laughs> wait until I and then he slept through from 12 weeks first day he did it was Mother's Day bless him oh. um, but yes my friends that have not had that experience don't like me to but you know there have been challenges since then Everyone I feel like I'm kind their, of yeah <laughs> um, made up for the for the easy start <laughs> yeah. since then. so then your son went to nursery and primary school in the Cotswolds he did so and yes he went to um, a very sweet little nursery um, in just in the village um, then he went to a very sweet little primary school again in the village and um, then when he was eight um, we moved to Bristol and it wasn't a planned move. So he moved right towards the end of year three. So he started right. a new primary school in a in a city, really, in an urban setting with a very different kind of mix of, of kids. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, he, he did um, uh, yeah, the rest of his primary school in Bristol. In Bristol. Um, and um, 
So your son has a diagnosis of autism? Yes. Do you remember, because obviously he's verbal Yes. and um, everyone's grouped together these days, but would you say is Asperger's? He is a, yes, I would say he's a... How he, do you describe your son's autism? I mean, I've been told they don't use that word anymore. No, um, and I think bec- And I suppose because maybe it's unhelpful to... Um, and, and also, my son, his, his self-awareness now about his autism is really really interesting. He will say the smartest things, smarter than things I've read in books, smarter than things that experts have told me or that I could possibly have thought of myself. I remember him saying to me about a year ago when he was uh, struggling again in a mainstream secondary school, he said, um, everyone keeps saying I'm high functioning. He said, but it's really unhelpful because actually in this environment, I can't function at all. He was um, 15 and a half before he got his diagnosis. And Oddly enough, the people that were most convinced that he, when I told them he was being tested for autism, were so were absolutely convinced it was a red herring. And we'd been through a lot of red herrings at this stage with people that had direct experience of autistic people, but low-functioning, severely yeah. autistic people. And yeah. they felt that he couldn't be autistic because he was performing to coping too well with things. Mask it, potentially masking. Yeah, yeah. exactly. A a lot of masking. And I think a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of very bad coping strategies that he had had to learn because nobody knew what what was the cause of his anxiety. Yeah. As a mum, was there any kind of point where you thought... This, he's got he's very anxious little boy or what was he like as a as a mm. little as a little child yeah. and was he there was any not anxious at all not remotely he was funny he was um, nothing that made you think not when he was little no right. I, I mean acute th- things that I th- we thought were very cute at the time we took photos of and he was happy about like the Christmas when he was about maybe eighteen months getting on for two he took a big tin of Quality Street and he laid them one after another across the sitting room floor and instead of taking the tin with him he left the tin where it was and returned for each one and then went to the end of the line and laid them all really neatly and it looked really pretty and he was really happy and we just thought that's so cute and we took photos and he was really pleased. So later I was told that that was a clear first indicator that but I think I mean you won't and don't get a diagnosis until it becomes a a problem for you to live in in living your life which is a very sensible sort of place in the sand to draw the line Um, but I think and he was he wasn't an unhappy child he used to make all his friends laugh at school. He so was social. Yeah, he was social. He was. A, I mean, this was in the village setting, yeah. so it was, a, it was quite different. But even when he we moved to the city, he was. He still, you know, he got on well. Um, and and uh, schoolwork, he was good. Schoolwork was fine. He was. He really was one of the earliest readers in his class at primary school. In fact, they wouldn't let him move to the next level in the and chip books because he it wouldn't be fair on the rest of the class so he had to stay reading at the level he did but they created a librarian role for him which they'd never done for someone in reception class so, at primary so, school. so very bright yeah he was bright um but also mainly i think just sort of ha- he was a bit of a minimalist so he didn't like to exert himself too much that was pointed out to us at nursery so various not his um or anything anything that didn't come naturally and required a lot of effort he would get anxious about. So learning to read came really easily for him, but learning to write, he found very difficult, the physical side of writing. I think probably the first line, the first time 
that I did think that yeah. there was something um, going on, but never. But again, it wasn't ever. It wasn't such a big deal that I started to fret about it, and it wasn't making him unhappy. Was his inability to? Well, his his um, he couldn't play that dissembling game that we all have to play, which is joining in with the rules that even when the rules are a little bit stupid and pointless but they're rules and they you know so he was a couple of times in trouble at primary school for uh, they had a fire safety chap came and talked to them all when they were about five and um the chap was i'm sure very nice gentleman but he didn't have any visual aids he just stood and talked and um my son got quite uh, uh fidgety about it. he didn't like he didn't want to sit still and he kept sort of like looking around and uh, was bored basically and the teacher said if you don't want to listen you can turn around and face the other way and he did and he was in trouble for being cheeky but he just couldn't understand why he was given a choice, he thought, and he took it. And he didn't intend it to be cheeky at all, but the teachers weren't too happy about that. Yeah, when did things when did well, things start? Kind of- when he was when he was a, um, an, an adolescent, so when he was twelve and a half, like round about that sort of time, he- did he change? I mean, I probably changed suddenly. My mum said at one minute I was like wanting to cuddle her all the time and she was my best friend and then literally woke up the next day I was like, I really don't want anything to do with you. I'm going out. I want to go out and wear crop tops and DMs. <laughs> I don't think, no, it wasn't as sudden as that. But then a lot of things collided at the same time. So we moved away from the, the little village where he had got, you know, a lot of friends and was you living a very sweet and sort of simple, simplistic life, really, I suppose, to a busy city. Um, we didn't know at this time, of course, that he had any sensory issues at all. But we lived in a, it was a very attractive flat, but it was right next to a road. And the traffic used to come off the road really quite, and it, it used to keep me awake at night. And it didn't seem to be bothering my son at the time. Um, he seemed to, you know, he was really keen on the new adventure. He was quite happy to leave. He wasn't upset to leave the village or his friends. He was very much, let's, you know, let's see this new adventure. And he made friends quite quickly at the at the new school. So then he went to a, he did secondary school in um, with some friends from his primary school for okay, one year, Bristol, and then we so moved Bristol. again. Oh, yeah, this was in again. Bristol. Then we moved. So he'd already had one year of the trickiness of secondary school, which it was a funny time. All his all of his friends were, you know, some of them were changing overnight, sort of thing, and it was suddenly not cool to do things that had been cool or cool had kind of changed. Again, I, I didn't realise this was an autistic thing until I went on an excellent parenting course and was taught it. But funny things like he didn't like to stick out at school, but he would never, ever do Mufti Day. You know, when they take in a pound and dress in their, like oh, a yeah. character from a book or wear their own clothes. It was particularly wearing his own clothes because in a school you wear a uniform and that is the rule. Um, but I couldn't understand why he... And he would say, I can't wear those shoes because I know those aren't uniform. And I'd say, but I've seen all the other kids wearing, you know, so have you. You've seen the variety of footwear and none of those other kids are in trouble. He's like, I can't wear those shoes. And at the time, did you think, God, you're stubborn? Or I did know, you well, think? I, just, I think I just thought, yes, I just, I never, I, you know, um, Why would certainly you? the penny never dropped. So he did a year at secondary school um, in Bristol. Then we had to move. Then we moved to Bath, and he'd chosen the secondary school he wanted to go to based on a friend that had been at his primary school in Bristol. But it very quickly became clear that you know it, it was going to be much more difficult to make friends. Did um, he come home like sad? Yeah, or? he um, he 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 was. He didn't struggle straight away, but he started to 
um, you know, his friend had made new friends and the new friends were jealous of this sudden, this person that had suddenly turned up, you know, out of nowhere after the, and they'd all been there a year already and they'd already got their friendship God, groups. it's not a place it's, I'd like to go no, again in secondary I, school. No. Well, they, all, everyone I talk to always says that especially, you know, especially for autistic um, people, school is the worst part that you go through because of, because of all the rules, but also because of all of those social issues. And also school is such a false set of social issues isn't it it's you know the people that you're friends with won't be friends with you the next day and you won't know why yeah. whereas at least in a workplace you kind of know what's going on um yeah, school, it's just so immature isn't yeah, it it's it just, is and all of those that game playing that you don't you so know have you got the latest playing. stuff and are you in so yeah. because he wasn't interested in the things that the rest of them were into that the rest of them he was convinced we're really suddenly into all of this latest stuff. And I was always a bit, well, are you sure that they are? Are you sure? Maybe they're just saying because everyone else is like, and he, but he would never just say, oh yes, I like that as well to, to, to pass under the radar, which was my strategy when I was at school, because I was bullied at school, but I just basically would say anything to join in. So he was having quite, he was having a difficult time. Yes. And then was there things that escalated that really made you think, Okay, something well, we need to investigate. Something he was here. definitely, he was desperately unhappy. So he started seeing cams. Um, was he re school refused? Was he refusing school? At um, that no, he was trying to go into school, but then he would get very, very, very anxious. Um, and the school strategy for dealing with it—not all of the schools, but one of the schools—because they knew that once he was working in a classroom, his work was really, you know, the teachers were really pleased with him. His work was really good, and so I think they thought, oh, it's just a you know, let's just get him into the classroom. And unfortunately, there were a couple of instances where he was physically moved into the classroom God. in order to, um, you know, to just... Because they, they thought that that was the best way to deal with the problem. Now, this was actually the school where a teacher had seen him walking home one day and had gone in the next day. This was a... Um, I don't think she was a Senko. I think she was a, a teaching assistant. And she told her colleagues the next day, she told a Senko, she said, we've got an autistic child at this school. Now, that was when he was th about 13 and a half. How did she surmise that from what Just she Just from the walk? way he walked, from the way he was around traffic, from the way, he, I suppose, his body language. I know what she means now what? because <laughs> I can see uh, he does... Rule-based? Rule yeah, I suppose flinching from sudden sounds um, when traffic goes past him, you know, the sensory side of it, maybe. Right. He just definitely has a reaction. Looking over his shoulder because he thought someone was following him possibly hyper or yeah hyper aware god isn't that yeah and but but sadly they so um unfortunately then we had a series of things that you know i'm sure other parents have, have had similar and, and in, in many cases worse situations i actually in some ways consider myself fortunate because i feel we at least we weren't fighting for a diagnosis from when he was small i know a lot of parents who were com who knew that their kids were autistic instinctively or because of what they'd seen and because of what they'd read and they have had to fight years to get a diagnosis. Now we had this one teacher, I wasn't convinced it was what was going on. Did they did they did, did they, so mention they teach, it to well, you? They, yes they did and they said but that must have been a Yeah, it was well actually it was fine because to be honest there was so much else going on with him at that time and I was hearing so many different diagnoses of depression and anxiety. He as I say was self-diagnosing himself because I think this is the one of the biggest torments for an autistic person, certainly before they are reconciled with a diagnosis, this was the case for my son anyway, is knowing that there's something different about you and having to have a name for it. 
do you remember him? I mean, obviously, potentially he was feeling depressed yeah. and all of those yeah. things happening from school, but he must have said, I feel like... He was, so he was, yes, he was, um, he would keep trying to go into school and he would be okay when he was at home, you see. I think that's what it was. He was, he felt calm and I would give him a pep talk and we would be okay when it was the two of us talking. But, but he would say to you, Mum, I think there is, there must be a name yes, for this. Is, yes, not... well, he, no, he, so he had, he would go and look on the internet and he came up with his own diagnoses, of varying, frightening um, psychiatric illnesses culminating in his absolute conviction that he had schizophrenia and this was that was that was the most scary time because he was absolutely convinced that that was what or he fitted all of the criteria and he I remember him sitting with his psychiatrist and uh, with me because he always insisted I was in the room and saying look will you just give me my diagnosis of schizophrenia so I can get on with my life um and And how old was he Um, he was 14 maybe at that stage 14 and a half still a year away from getting the actual diagnosis thank god we had the you know a fantastic psych psychiatrist he's very he's been very lucky in the team he eventually got that he has at the moment around him um because what the other the danger was that if you didn't take him seriously i'm sure this is true of all children and certainly autistic um young people if you appear to be invalidating how they feel about themselves, then the barriers go up. So you, what you could never say to my son was, um, I think you're wrong. Uh, as bluntly as that. You had to go, well, let's talk about that. You couldn't ever, because he would just get up and go. He would, right. he, you know, he, or it would ju- he would just wouldn't have the trust in, the, in that situation anymore. Yeah. He luckily had a very gentle, very sensible um, psychiatrist who said to him, well, I, I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't want to give you this diagnosis. It will be with you for the rest of your life. Because once it goes on your record, they can never take it off, uh, I, which I had, I didn't realise, actually. Even for a, a 14, uh, someone Even under for, 18? Yeah. No, it's, and I know people who at that age in their lives were given um, prescriptions for anti- antidepressants for um, a short term that they then ended up taking for too long and it's it's meant they can't now get careers that they wow. wanted to get in areas they wanted to get. After the teacher had said that they thought he was autistic, um, the Senko said it to me as a kind of, well, maybe you should get him an appointment with a paediatrician. So we're not sure, we don't know, but this one teacher has said. So we went to our GP, but because he was under the care of CAMS at that time, the GP that we saw refused to refer him to a paediatrician. She refused to even talk to him directly in the room with her. She said, you, you're you under the care of CAMS, go to CAMS, um, which was extraordinary. So luckily we've got a much better GP now right. who I think it's, I think, you know, I think knowing that he's autistic has made everybody's behaviours towards him, including my own, change in a way that now makes things possible that weren't then. Oh, completely. So yeah. it's you like would, you step you know, into their world. And exactly, so, exactly. So from the time when you were sitting uh, in the psychiatrist's office to the mm. day that you got the diagnosis, mm. so this is a year, about a year? About a year. Yeah. So you went to the, the nice GP who mm. said, OK, then there there is sort of... Well, actually, no, it was CAMS that um, gave us the... that tested him for autism in the end. Oh, OK. And I think it was because they were running out of things to, to do. And how... What did he... Did he think this could no, be it? he didn't think oh, it yeah, at all. He, he said, was absolutely yeah. convinced it was a red herring. And, and actually, so was I, because I'd spoken to right. um, friends and who had a direct experience of autism and also people in the medical profession who were in my family. And everybody... And I think the thing is, because we'd all 
because all of those people had known him since he was tiny and had watched him grow up and, and seen how happy he was and then how suddenly, almost from one day to the next, he stopped being happy. I think the assumption was that there was a, a there was some sort of depressive thing going on with yeah, him. Yeah, but nothing uh, else. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So we did all this. So we sat and actually, and actually, so we saw two people from, they were neurodevelopmental psychiatrists um, and they split us up um, and they spent two hours altogether talking to us over the over two separate sessions so i'd luckily because i suppose well because he was such a an entertaining child and so he always had something funny that he said or did i kept diaries for the first five years of his life they're filled with the often very funny things that he used to say and do funny little sayings he had and things like this and so i had got i was very well equipped when they said bring us all the evidence and of, of everything, you know, all of his developmental things, um, but also all the memories that the family have of him when he was, because this key age, four and five, I guess it's when you're first in social situations yeah. in school. I think you do make a huge developmental leap at the age That's of right. four in terms yes. of making those social... And they were very clear to us that um, it, you can't develop autism in adolescence, but um, it can suddenly become pronounced for the first time. But it will have, there will have been signs there when he was four or five. So I spent an hour talking to one of these women, at the end of which she said, this isn't autism, I'm pretty sure, but come back and do the other hour. So we came back and we did the other hour. And in the meantime, he had been doing some different kinds of tests with another developmental psychiatrist. So when we then went back in to see his psychiatrist and his psychiatrist said, we've got the results and you you are autistic, it was, we just, both of us, for the first time, since we've been going to camps, he'd been going to camps for about three years at that point. We both just sat there and I, I think I, my mouth might actually have fallen open. He looked stunned. I felt stunned. I couldn't think of anything sensible to say, even what happens now. Sure. And I'm thinking this is, this seems really, you know, really? Anyway, so we spent about two or maybe as much as three months, maybe as long as that, thinking they've got it wrong. They've got it wrong. It was over the summer holidays. So there was no going into school and having to do things about it. It was just kind of, and we were waiting for another appointment. He was still seeing cams, but um, then they said, we think you should sign up for this Signet parenting course that Barnardo's run out of the Fosway School. We were still, both of us, incredibly sceptical about it. Um, and at, to the point that I had looked at this parenting course and it was two hours once a week for eight weeks. Um, and I was working part-time at that time. I was a single parent. Um, I was dealing with him being very depressed um, and anxious, having a lot of attachment issues. And I, which all now makes sense, of course. But, um, and so the idea of driving an hour away from the house nearly to do two hours of this training session once a week, trying to fit it in apart from anything else was just the thought of it was exhausting. And I remember saying to my son, so what do you think? Should I do this? Should I go and do this course just, you know, in case? Um, what do you think? Sort of thinking he was going to go, no, you know. And I, at that point, I wouldn't have gone on that course if he'd said no. Thank goodness he said, well, maybe you should because they, luckily this was him doing the rule obeying thing, I suppose, because they said, you should go on it. Maybe you should go on it. So I went on this course and almost from the first five minutes of the course, sitting in a room with other parents, with a wonderful um, teacher leading the course, incredibly empathetic, incredibly 
sensitive and caring. Uh, she welled up when we took each of us one after another told her the story of what was where our kids were up to mm. because she was so you know such a lovely um, woman. And then people started saying things like, "I don't know if any of you have noticed. Don't know if any of you had this, but getting their hair cut when they're little." And I'm like, "Oh my god." The only time my son ever had a tantrum as a toddler was when we tried to get his hair cut. And then they, someone else said, oh, and getting their shoes, feet measured for new shoes. And I was like, the only time you ever had a tantrum in front of my mother was in a shoe yeah. shop. And do you know what's so interesting? It's like my son is yeah. severely autistic, but still mm. it's the same. Haircuts mm. is an issue. Cutting nails is an issue. Yes. Dressing is an issue, yes. what we're wearing, yes. what it feels like. Shoes is a huge yes. issue. Yes. Um, it's almost like he needs a special doctor for every part of his body. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I went home after the first... I drove home after the first session thinking, oh, my God, what this might actually be it. This might actually be what is going on with my son. And having lived through three years of desperate unhappiness from him, you know, with him, and and... It's true. They say you're only as happy as your unhappiest child. And he had been so unhappy. Um, And I was, I mean, but I'd had so many other false hopey kind of moments that I thought, I'm not, I'm not sure. We've got beaten down those points. Yeah. So anyway, I I got home and he was a bit kind of so, how was it then? Did you, you know, you went, what was it like then? And I said, well, I did learn one thing. And that is that all, I can't remember what example I gave, but it was something like, Autistic kids absolutely refused to go in mufti on mufti days at school. And he was like, well, yeah, that's me. And so and then I told him something else and he'd go, that's not me. And I'd go, well, that's okay because you're not meant to fit every of the criteria. But And then that became the pattern. So once a week I would go increasingly eager to get there, increasingly eager to learn and to see the other people and to hear some and, you know, find out come home and he would go what did you learn and I'd go this is this and this and he'd go that's me that's me no that's not me yes that's me and that was how through that course and thank god for that course and I hope I my dearest wish is that every autistic parent has access to a course like that because it changed our lives parenting course run by Bernardo's signet service as in baby swan yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um, yes. It Signet was Parenting Course. Signet Parenting Course. And they run other courses out of Fosway um, as well. And it was, you know, it was at the same time, his psychiatrist had given him a referral um, to an autism outreach specialist who also worked with the same team at Fosway School. Um, my son had been very reluctant to have um, any other people coming and talking to him because he'd talked to well he'd met one or two quite junior early intervention people at camps that um had upset him because they'd said things that he had taken offense at or they'd appeared not to um believe what he you know how he was feeling or to question yeah. exactly he anybody questioning his feelings he found very difficult so he'd not been he was thinking i don't really want to see this plus it's not i'm not autistic anyway and then after he had begun to go, okay, it looks like I am autistic, he then almost instantly went to stigma about it. 
So he started to say, I don't want to be autistic. You know what they call, they'll call me at school, they'll call me a retard. He said, that's the word that they use. And that's what I'm going to, that's what you're saying I am. So that's what I yeah. am now. Was he 15 so by this point? He yeah. was 15, yes, 15 and a half. And he wasn't in school anyway, because he wasn't well enough to be in school at this stage. So he's now, he's not attending school. Um, is he doing any sort of wasn't him. At this right. point, he was, so he was seeing, yes, he had the, um, uh, HERS education, hospital educational, um, I can't remember what it stands for. Right. Anyway, yes, it's, it's, it's basically, cool. it's, it's, it started life as a service for people that had broken their arms or legs or couldn't physically be in school. But nowadays, I think most of the people they see are people that are out of school for mental health issues. Right. Um, so he had tutors that would come round um, with mixed success. Some of them were fantastic and he really bonded with them and they changed his life in some ways. Yeah. Some of them set him back because they didn't, get that he was autistic they didn't understand yeah. what that how that worked and I was still learning totally. so I and I still I think you're always learning as a parent anyway <laughs> the most important lesson that I learned um, and I think probably this still works even when um, we come back to that mantra of if, if you've met one autistic person you've met one autistic person I do think still as a parent the the most important thing that I learned on that parenting course was to stay calm and be the solid the solid ground under their feet and not to follow his mood patterns which is the most counterintuitive thing I think I've ever mm. had to learn as a parent um, I had spent such a long time being depressed when he was depressed being unhappy when he was unhappy crying when he cried being frustrated when he was frustrated um, being elated on those rare occasions when he was having a good day and it only really became a problem when he would get desperately low and unhappy and I would get desperately low and unhappy and then I would cry and then he would get even more anxious and even more stressed. So they just said to me on this course, they didn't say it as bluntly as this, but they said, you, you're, you can't do that. You can't go up and down and follow his moods. That's You've so got to just yeah. stay absolutely calm and level and just... Try saying to him things like, oh, that's interesting. I'm, so, I'm sorry you feel like that. I'm sorry that, that that's the kind of day that you've had. Maybe make a note of that and you can talk to so the team the about it. So be the lighthouse in the storm almost. Exactly. Yeah. Because I thought, he, because he's such a bright kid, I thought there's no way he's going to buy this, that mum's suddenly become, oh, that's fine. That's fine. Don't worry about it. Write it down and talk to your psychiatrist. Because it was so different to how I'd been all the way. I would, you know, if he came to me crying... I would try and, and, and I would get desperately upset as well and try and make it better for him and yeah. and really want to. And um, and it didn't help. Kind of it put did, weight with these feelings yeah, and say... it didn't help him at all. Mm. It just made him even more stressed and anxious because actually what he was doing when he was coming to me was he was looking for somebody to go, your world is rocking, but actually this bit of it's not. So it will be two years since he started seeing the guy that made the biggest difference I'm going to name him in case he ever listens to this and his name is Conrad and he oh, is Conrad. he is the amazing outreach specialist that's been working with us I think he's been working with Conrad for two years um, and he started working with him six months after his diagnosis so it must have been 2016 because what I'm really interested in is how like your writing and the kind of success mm. and how that sort of it's very interesting isn't it how someone's kind of work life can because I guess yes. when your first 
crime novel was released. It won the Theakston's Old Peculiar Crime Novel of the Year. Yes. Uh, and was a Barry Award finalist. Yes. Um, so that's amazing. But then at home, you know, you're struggling yes. and yes. searching for answers and your son's yes. desperately unhappy. Was that a kind well, of strange was, time? It was. I mean, actually, I, when I wrote that book, um, he he was okay um, at that point. It was, it was before he became... I think it was... Life started to get really difficult just after the book came out, actually, um, in all kinds of ways, not just to do with um, uh, my son's undiagnosed autism, but in all kinds of complicated and difficult ways, some of which actually were directly linked to the fact that I had had that success and that I'd achieved a life goal that I'd been looking for. It, was um, it? Was it? Because I guess it's always like, oh, nice surprise. Yes. Um, and I, I, I know you believed in your book, um, but was it like, wow? It was absolutely st- actually to win to win that award yeah. was staggering because I was up against all of my writing heroes, um, and so and I did have I had an enormous bolt of imposter syndrome which all writers suffer from and it was staggering and it was amazing in fact actually I'll tell you a funny story about my son on the night that I won it because he came with me to Harrogate to the festival but he didn't come because he was quite low at that time he was suffering with anxiety again undiagnosed at this point he stayed in the bedroom um, and I went down thinking I've got to get through this bit I knew I was shortlisted but there were six people shortlisted and five of them were I was the debut author. Five of them were my writing heroes. And I just thought, I've just got to get through the bit where I stand on the stage and don't make a fool of myself. And then I can sit back down and really cheer one of my writing heroes that's going to win this award. Um, And then I won this award. And it takes the shape of this enormous, well, it's not enormous. It's a a miniature beer barrel, but it's really heavy. Um, And it's sort of oak with brass banding around it on a little plinth. Um, and so I took it back up to the room and my son was sitting on the bed on his computer and he looked up and he looked at this thing and it was quite late at night by now. It was about 11 o'clock or something like that. And I'd put it down on the, on the side in the hotel room and he looked at it and he looked at me and he went, what have you done? <laughs> and I think he'd thought I'd got drunk and run amok and stolen something. But he was you know, he was delighted that I'd won it. He yeah. was really fine. But he was also, um, he was struggling a lot at that stage. And then... And that must have been very hard as a mum because you're difficult. like, I'm living these two... I know. It was very difficult to... Uh, luckily, luckily, the writing community, particularly the crime writing community, is made up of some of the kindest... A most generous and supportive people I've ever met. I consider myself incredibly honoured and humbled to be part of such a warm community. So I've made some lifelong friends just in the years since I've been published. While I never did and never would write my own struggles into the book, the fact that I was writing, I'd, I'd chosen a path that meant I was writing emotional impactful fiction about the reality of how hard life is and how Mm. cruel life can be and how unjust society can be. Once I knew how to help my son, I became entirely focused on how I could do that in the best possible way, getting him the help that he needs. And you have to be a fighter. You'll know this. Mm. As the parent of an autistic child, um, or indeed any child that has any kind of special need, whether it's a mental health one or an educational one or a social one, the struggle to get them the help that they need, you have to be a fighter. And if you're not one at the beginning of the process, you will be a damn good one at the end of it. Not that it's ended, but, you know, I think um, I was saying to a friend of mine, life clearly has us marked out as fighters, but wouldn't it be nice 
just not to have to fight once, just to have one thing just to fall yeah. into your life. But I know that isn't how life works. Yeah. So you seem quite happy and I don't know you personally, but you come <laughs> across as a, you're at peace and you're in a good well, place. I think we are. I mean, it's. Um, I'm never, I'm always reluctant to sort of say things are, you know, turned, <laughs> things, things are have turned a corner <laughs> and things are, because, you know, it's... It, it, Who it, knows what tomorrow brings. It, exactly. But I. one thing that I... There was a milestone moment, even if it doesn't last, that came this week when the chap who is working um, with my son, um, who is going to be advocating for him next week at a multi-agency meeting because he's about to transition from CAMS to adult services right. because he is about to turn 18, unbelievably, to me, um, plus um, to him as well and, and everyone who knows him because he looks about 15. So he still has to, you know, produce his um, age proof when he wants to go to a 15 certificate oh, really? film he He's can't believe face. it he really is <laughs> but he um he said when he was talking with um uh, this guy who in the course of two the first time he ever met this guy conrad sat on the sofa with something he said i'm putting that in between us his big footstool up on the sofa he said i'm not looking at him and he sat there like this and he wouldn't look at him um and conrad just sat next to him and i did this thing which i don't know how he did it i still don't know how conrad does what he did what he does it's a form of alchemy I think he didn't talk about autism he didn't talk about school he didn't talk about anything he got out his phone he said what are you playing on your phone mate and my son was playing a game on his phone at that time that is not the kind of thing that you would have thought a man in biker leathers would have been interested in playing on his phone but he was straight and then gradually it was like watching him kind of put the barriers came down now I think part of what happened was that as he started to relinquish his hold on, I'm not autistic, and if I am, it's a bad thing, is that he became temporarily, and I'm doing the bunny fingers thing now, yeah. more autistic. Now, in fact, what he was is he's just as autistic as he was, but without all the shields up. Um, so, Interesting. Yeah, yeah, and I think, um, but yes, this week when he had this meeting with Conrad, he actually said that he is... Um, I didn't use this phrase, but he's at peace with his diagnosis. He he happily now accepts the diagnosis. He has embraced, this is the phrase Conrad used, embraced his autism. And he's starting to take back some of the control and, and decisions. And where he could go from here as well, but also yeah. as well giving narrative to what happened to him potentially at school as a yes. kid. Oh, that was yeah. because of my autism. Or exactly. Maybe exactly. I didn't. Um, so... The last question I actually wanted yes. to ask you, Sarah, and thank you so much. Um, it's been a You've pleasure. really given me a lift today. Um, when you tell people um, that your son is on the autistic spectrum, yes. what would you want their reaction to be? I would like them, actually, I would like them to be, to want to know something about autism. Because I think the level of understanding about autism is shocking in there. I mean, the fact that he was able to go through, I think I counted it up on my fingers. He went through, I think he'd been in about eight different educational environments before he received a diagnosis. And uh, he was happy in many of them, especially the early stages. But it, you know, one person in all of those must have been getting towards 100 people, professional people that he met. Only one of them saw that he might have autism and then getting the help that we needed has been such a struggle mm -hmm. I think that if people did know more about it and actually didn't because sometimes it, it people shut down they think they get all awkward don't they they oh it's like oh dear oh sorry 
Yeah, they don't you know, know what and then to they say. don't want to talk about it. Yeah. And actually, I would like them to talk about it. I'd like them to say, oh, "What's we'll talk about like it then? all day?" Yeah, yeah. What's, that, what's that? What's that like? Maybe would be the good, or you know, um, just to listen to, to have some curiosity about yeah. the condition. Um, and some things I remember hearing one thing on the parenting course. Often, parents with autistic, newly di- diagnosed autistic kids, ask one another this of of other autistic people and and including people who've got an adult diagnosis because I I know quite a lot of people who've quite recently been diagnosed and some of them are in their 30s 40s and often it's people that have autistic I've heard a lot of people who have autistic children realize okay well that explains a lot of the things exactly yeah exactly I remember a wonderful woman on the course saying to us all here's something positive to take back to your kids Um, if it wasn't for autistic people we would all still be living in caves and because all of the people that have progressed our societies have turned out to be autistic. One of the things that people think autistic people have no empathy, and I think that is one of the biggest mm. misnomers about it. Yeah. And actually, my son has started going to a specialist college this year. He has made a group of friends, and they are the kindest young people I have ever experienced. I have ever had the joy of having yeah. anything. When one of them... Even though they don't, so they don't like to share their stuff because they're autistic and they feel quite possessive about their things. They're sharing their things with one another. They're helping one another. They're cheering them up when they mm. feel bad. They're looking for ways to cheer one another yeah. up when they're having a tough time. It's just that they might have to potentially learn it. Yes, when yeah. it might come to us innately or yes. to a neurotypical person innately. When, yes. Yeah, they all have the ability to learn and yes. to grow and to progress. And yes. I think it's that base level of understanding that. Yes. Um, well, thank you so much, It's Sarah. been a genuine pleasure. When is your next book out? Um, not till May. It's called Never Be Broken. And it's the and sixth we, book in the Marnie Rome series. Amazing. And we will surely be that. That's indeed. <laughs> Quite right. <laughs> thank you. Autism is a spectrum condition. All autistic people share certain difficulties, but being autistic will affect them in different ways. Some autistic people also have learning disabilities, mental health issues, or other conditions, meaning people need different levels of support. All people on the autism spectrum learn and develop. With the right sort of support, all can be helped to live a more fulfilling life of their own choosing. To learn more about autism, you can visit the National Autistic Society website on autism.org.uk. This podcast was created, written and edit produced by me, Maisie Clater. And the music that you hear in this podcast was written and produced by Kit Milsom, who also records and edits the show. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe, maybe even write a little review and rate us.